thank you for tuning in to Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey, everyone, it's Sean. Uh, sorry we've been away for a little bit. I know for the first year we were cranking out episodes every week, but just due to, you know, some crazy times in our lives right now, Sam just started his first job. Garrett and I are both in our rookie seasons of professional hockey. We just haven't been able to stick with it that often, and um, hopefully there's enough content out there that you guys can continue to enjoy the podcast, and we're going to keep trying to move forward with it, but it'll probably be uh, once every two weeks rather than once every week moving forward. Um, now that we kind of got that out of the way, a uh, big episode 50 today with someone who had a very big impact on me during my freshman season of college. He was the captain of our team, a similar role to me, a defensive defenseman, one that isn't really recognized as much on the outside, but has a very crucial part of a team. And I think that that's something that we get into today and discuss about how to kind of, you know, mentally understand your value, even when it doesn't show up in all of the obvious ways, um, you know, whether it be points or something like that, you have to take pride in being the guy who blocks shots and does the necessary things to win. Uh, also talk a lot about leadership. He was probably the best captain I've ever played for. So really appreciate what he has to say there. Garrett, I know you just met him today, but uh, what did you think of Rob, man? Yeah, it was great to meet him. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the podcast, but he was your captain and uh, you guys went to school together and you have mentioned him a lot throughout our relationship. And, you know, it's basically when one of us is going through tough times about what you've learned from him. So it was cool that, you know, now that I've heard all the stories about what a great person he was and a great leader and all the great things he taught you, it was really nice to be able to meet him and hear his story and see, you know, the man that you're kind of talking about. And I can totally understand now why you say that he is the, you know, the best leader that you've ever played for, played for up until this date. And, uh, you know, someone that clearly has their head on their shoulders uh, very straight and has a firm grasp of reality and, uh, you know, the ins and outs of, of life and um, trying to make it. And I wish him nothing but the best. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, start to have a friendship and develop that. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to meet him one day in person. Yeah, absolutely. And he was someone who definitely led by example. Uh, you know, it's when you show up to a new place, you'd think the seniors would be complacent. And, you know, I've been here for four years. I'm, I'm the oldest guy, the most experienced, but he was always one of the last guys on the ice. He was always working on something productive. I think a lot of times in hockey guys will stay on the ice, but just kind of messing around. Like they're not doing anything productive. So you can be there for as long as you want, but it's about actually putting in effort, you know, working smarter and harder. And he was someone who kind of taught me how to do that. And, you know, without that, who knows if I would have been able to play as much as I did there and move on to uh, professional hockey. So can't thank him enough for that. And really excited to hear what you guys have to think about this one. Yeah. I think one thing too, is like, just from talking to him, I, I think there's very few people that are like true leaders in the sense that it's like in their blood and they're just teachers of life and of the game and the way that he talks about his experiences. I think he's one of those people that genuinely enjoys helping other people out um, and using his experience to help others. Uh, and clearly he did that to you. And I'm sure he did that to many others at Robert Morris. I'm sure he did it when he played pro and hopefully now uh, in the real world. So I could see why, you know, again, you said he's one of the best leaders that you've ever, you know, played for, because I genuinely think that he is one of the few that are true leaders that get personal enjoyment from helping others. Yeah. And another thing that he really did was bridge that gap of communication. I think that there's always somewhat of a disconnect between the coaching staff and the team. And it doesn't really matter how close you are. You're just in such different places where the players are a lot younger and, you know, they want to play the way that's going to help them and all that. And, you know, as a coach, you may think you have more experience and you see this big picture, but you sometimes maybe forget to realize that, you know, how important those times are for the freshmen. You know, you see the big picture that when they're juniors and seniors are going to be great. But right now, all they're worried about is being freshmen and trying to get in right now. I think that he was really good at bridging that gap and communicating the way the coaches felt about players and the way he felt at that time as a player to where he was now, because he went through it all. He wasn't one of those guys that showed up and was on the top line getting all the minutes. You know, he, he got scratched a lot as a freshman and, you know, wasn't really on the power play or anything until he went on a run senior year. Like, 
So he just kind of understood all aspects of it. And I think that someone like that who goes out of their way to make sure everyone's on the same page is to this day, like I said, best leader I've ever had. And, you know, led a team that maybe wasn't the most talented in my four years, the farthest that we went. So he was just a crucial, crucial piece. And looking back on it now, I think a lot of people respect what he did. Let's kick it on over to Rob Mann. Today's guest is a very close friend and mentor of mine. He's from Oshawa, Ontario. He played Division I hockey for Robert Morris University, where he was named the captain and defensive player of the year in 2017. He then went on to play three years of professional hockey and is now a trade support analyst. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Mann. Thanks for having me, guys. I was looking forward to this one, so appreciate you uh, having me on here today. Manor, uh, how are you and where are you living these days? Yeah, so I'm back home in the Toronto area still, I'm just out in Oshawa, so have a bit of an office set up here at my parents' house, and then my girlfriend's got an apartment 10, 15 minutes away, so kind of split duty right now between here and there, and then um, my girlfriend also just accepted a position in Toronto where mine will be once you know, COVID's done and we're back in office, so we're looking to uh, to get a condo hopefully soon. We were hoping to have one May 1st, but it's proved to be a little more challenging than we thought. So um, hopefully the next few weeks we'll be able to, to lock something in. Yeah, that's exciting for you. And yeah, you said your girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, yeah Taylor. Cool. She's, a, yeah, she's an ICU nurse, so she's been kind of at the brunt of, of all this during COVID. So she's been grinding for a year and a half now. So it's, uh, it's been challenging for her. So she's looking forward to hopefully all this being done here in the summer, but who knows, I guess we kind of got to play that by ear. It seems to change every day, but. Yeah, hundred percent. We all are. And just out of curiosity, how far is Oshawa from uh, Toronto? Uh, yeah, just about 45 minutes. So not too far, pretty easy, pretty easy to get downtown. So it won't be too big of a move for us, but obviously a little different living out here than you know, right downtown in the city. So that'll be a bit of an adjustment for both of us, for sure. Yeah. So what was your childhood like growing up in Oshawa and how'd you fall in love with hockey? Uh, yeah, you know, it was, I mean, especially the neighborhood I grew up in, Oshawa's, you know, blue collar town, a big hockey town, um, you know, grew up going to the Oshawa Generals games all the time, pretty prominent OHL organization. Uh, you know, their original arena was just down the street from my house. So a lot of time spent at those games and, um, you know, a lot of times just spent out front uh, on the street, plugging away, playing road hockey after school. And I mean, pretty typical story is many Canadian kids really just uh, kind of don't remember not playing, right? Just something you, you always did. And summer or winter, you just always kind of found a way to, whether it was on the street or on the ice and just kind of um, took off from there. Yeah. So, so the listeners may not know, but I played with you. So I know that you're a massive human uh, listener, <laughs> but, four, but I feel like you were seven feet when you played on the ice. And uh, did that big of a size ever pigeonhole you into the role of like defensive defenseman? Uh, yeah, I guess eventually it, it sort of did. I think probably up until my last year of junior, um, you know, I always found a way to, to get some power play time and put up some okay numbers. And then, uh, you know, my last year junior, I was out in Penticton, BC. So playing for Fred Harbinson out there, we had uh, quite the team and quite the decor. So um, he kind of pulled me aside early on the season and said, you know, that that one was going to be a, a really different one for me compared to my previous two years in the OJHL playing junior. Uh, he really wanted to teach me, you know, how to properly play defense because I honestly you know, uh, certainly didn't know how to at that point in my career. And um, you know, that was a big learning curve for me. Um, you know, you got to kind of find, find a new role and find your, your new niche so that you can add value to the team and make sure you're still, you know, eating up a good chunk of minutes every night. So, um, you know, I'd say probably I got away with it up until 18 or 19. Then eventually, yeah, it was kind of like, if you, you know, if you want to make a run on it, you're just going to have to learn to use your size to your advantage and, and play the role that, you know, most coaches are going to want you to play. Yeah. You know, you and I play a similar role and, it's hard to play that role where, you know, you aren't scoring the goals and you aren't getting points because so many people from the outside judge talent based on points. How did you handle maintaining your confidence as a player when your recognition comes through, you know, blocked shots rather than scoring goals? Yeah, I think I was, that was a big adjustment too, especially that first year, right? Um, you know, because I, I was one of those guys that put up some okay numbers and was able to earn that recognition. And, and now you're not one of those guys, but I think, 
you know, the big thing you learn pretty quick as well is you may not get the recognition on the outside, but within the team, you know, from the coaching staff and the boys, um, you know, usually those players are, are pretty well liked and really well respected for, for doing the dirty work. And, you know, there's only so many roles on a team that uh, each guy can take up. So it takes a certain kind of person to, you know, take on some of those, uh, those dirtier roles. And again, I think, you know, as long as the boys respected and you know that you're doing your job and they're going to take care of theirs. And, um, you know, I found that that was a pretty, pretty good way for myself to look at it and something that you're able to find uh, the reward in it at the end of the day. Something that you pointed out before Sean asked you that other question, I think it's important for younger listeners to uh, listen to whether they play hockey or any other sports or whatever in life is the fact that your role within a certain organization is going to change depending on, uh, you know, the year playoffs, regular season. Uh, If you're joining a new team, like you said, uh, you know, when you made that transition from leagues to a different, uh, a different team, a different league, uh, they wanted you to be more of a defensive defenseman. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And you have to learn to fulfill your role on that team. Uh, and honestly, you know, you, you have to change in order to get the playing time that you want. But I guess for you and Sean, I mean, obviously as a hockey player, I know, but for maybe people that don't know hockey that well, how do you guys judge your, uh, your play every single night? Because as Sean has said, like a scorer, they're going to look at points. Do I have assists? Do I have goals or whatever? So for you guys, what are you looking for in your game? And how do you tell yourself that you had a good night or you had a bad night? Yeah, good question. I think for me, it was, um, you know, just making sure you played steady, mistake-free hockey, right? Um, you know, you, your role, you're not expected to go out there and and maybe produce as, um, you know, kind of you touched on like other guys do in terms of points and scoring goals and things. But, um, you know, really just making sure that you're taking care of your own end, spending, you know, as minimal amount of time in the D zone as possible, um, breaking plays up before they get into the zone and, you know, trying to play a bit of a hard-nosed game. And, I mean, the penalty kill was a big one for me as well, and I know it is for, for Giles too, making sure that, you know, you're trying to get out of the out of the game not being scored on while you're out there on the PK and the PK in general. So those are the kind of things I touched on, just really making sure that, uh, you know, you didn't have to do anything outstanding, but certainly had to be, you know, relatively mistake-free. And, again, just I think the big, the big thing is being reliable, right? Teammates know that you're going to go out there and, and do your job and um, fulfill those expectations. And the coaching staff knows that as well. And that's kind of how you can continue to earn that ice time and increase your minutes um, steadily throughout. So I don't know if Sean has anything else that, you know, he kind of looks for in his own game. But Yeah. I mean, it, it was our big joke that whole, that whole year that we played together, steady is dirty. Right. So, it just, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure there's, guys, there's guys on the team that expect, you know, you expect them to score a goal every night, but it's also really nice when you have guys on your team who, you know, are just going to play their role and you don't have to worry about them. Like to us, yeah. a good night is if you don't get noticed, as in the other mm-hmm. team isn't creating chances, chances offensively. And our role pretty much is to just take the puck back and then get it to our scorers. So it's not glamorous, mm-hmm. but it kind of becomes a feel. Like, you know, I have an idea. How many scoring chances did the other team get while I was on the ice? You know, mm-hmm that's kind of how I judge how I played, you know, how well was I moving the puck? You know, you want to limit your turnovers. I guess there's some statistical areas like, you know, I guess plus minus a little bit, but it becomes more of a feel and a pride thing. And just knowing that you are doing everything to the best of your ability and, you know, moving the puck to a guy like Brady Ferguson, Alex Tonge, like Mm -hmm. guys who are our scorers. If we get the puck in their hands, then we're doing our job. And, it sucks because like in between periods, the coach might just rinse the team. Like you guys are playing the worst hockey I've ever seen you play all this stuff. You're like, I feel like I've been playing really well, you know, moving. The yeah. <laughs> it's just, I've, I've kind of noticed that all those intermission speeches do not apply to the role player. Yeah. Like, <laughs> still guys. yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. <laughs> that's a good point to bring up uh, and good to get insight from both you as you know, you guys both play, similar position and similar style, um, but have da- or have had different experiences. And as Sean had mentioned, you guys went to school together and uh, your freshman year was tough on you mentally, uh, as I personally believe it is for most players uh, going from a big fish to a small pond to a rookie, uh, you know, like that's hard. So can you can you talk about the, the highs and lows of that year and how you saw the big picture to stay on track? Yeah, so I'll kind of give the backstory on, I guess, how our year was going um, and then kind of my own personal experiences. So 
Um, you know, we had seven defensemen at the time, and I think up until Christmas, our team record was two and 12. So we weren't doing too well, and it seemed like, um, you know, myself and the other freshman defensemen were playing one game a weekend and just kind of filtering in a, out, of, out of the lineup, sorry. Um, and then, you know, went over Christmas holidays and came back. Uh, I think I played the first game um, of the regular season following that break, not including the one Christmas tournament we had, um, which we lost. And then, so I was out that next night, so it seemed pretty standard. We happened to win that game, which obviously wasn't a, a common occurrence. And then our team went on a heater of about 10 or 12 game winning streak, which in college obviously spans, you know, a month and a half. Um, and at that point, our co coach was really reluctant to to make any lineup changes because obviously what they had done was was working. So I found myself, you know, after Christmas on the outside looking in for, uh, you know, the rest of the year, honestly, at that point. So, um, you know, I think probably the first month or two was, was really tough to handle myself. I mean, I think you touched on, you know, being a big fish in junior hockey and obviously a player that's earned a scholarship and, you know, probably one of the top guys on the team. And then you, you kind of go to somewhere where you're at the bottom of the totem pole and you got to kind of figure things out again. And, you know, it was difficult for me because I kept hearing, you know, Hey, it isn't anything you're doing. It's just, you know, we got the lineup that's working right now. And, and I found it difficult because I didn't have anything to work, you know, kind of work with at that point. Right. You just kind of feel like, well, what, what more can I be doing? Even though you feel like you're putting the work in and, and so I think for a month or two, um, yeah, you certainly, you know, get a little anxious going to the rink and you don't want that to, to show, but it certainly seeps into your performance on the ice and practice when you can feel the pressure of, you know, having to perform somewhat, you know, in your mind perfectly to have a chance at even getting in the lineup. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, just conversations with my parents probably, you know, midway through that, that point, uh, you know, just looking back on my own career at that point from, you know, 16 to 20, um, you know, now I had the opportunity to improve that much again from 20 to 24 by the time I would graduate. So, you know, really just taking that step back and and saying, okay, I'm, you know, I'm at the level that I, you know, was trying to get to. I'm playing division one college hockey and I've got three and a half years left to, to make a run at this thing and, you know, improve as much as you can. So once I kind of took a step back and realized that, um, not that it made it, completely easy but I think you just give yourself a little much a little bit more of a timeline to work with and that sort of ease some of the I guess the anxieties and, and that sort of thing so certainly difficult but uh, I honestly don't think I would, would have been the player or the you know, I guess the person that I am had I not gone through you know that that tough time so looking back it was probably a good thing I got uh, you know went through that experience for sure. Yeah and it's really tough and I actually remember on my visit to Robert Morris our uh Coach Workman, uh, who unfortunately mm -hmm. passed away, he was telling us about, you know, you had just been named captain and you weren't a guy who was always in the lineup. And the way that you handled it when you weren't in the lineup just showed your character. And, you know, it, it honestly put a bit of a chip on your shoulder to work harder in practice and, mm -hmm. you know, to be the guy, even when you were the man as a senior, you were, you know, you and I were staying on the ice. We were the last guys on the ice. You know, yeah. you can't get humble or I guess you should always stay humble. You can't get complacent when you're at the top. And I think that maybe without learning that lesson as a freshman, you may have not had the same great habits as a senior. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, it kind of changed, you know, I'd always considered myself, you know, a hard worker, but that kind of, you know, put me into a, a different gear, I guess. And, you know, made me realize that even though I thought I was a hard worker at that point, there was still a lot more I had to be doing and a long way to go in terms of improvement on and off the ice and, it kind of changed the way I approached everything and everything I did from that point on was, you know, aimed at trying to get better. And, you know, it means a lot that you touched on that to the, you know, not getting complacent thing. Cause that's one of the things I wanted to make sure that especially your class recognized not only myself, but the other leadership group that year as well is that, uh, you know, it doesn't just stop once you're a junior or senior. Cause if you want to get to the pro ranks and climb the ladder there, um, you know, guess what? You're going back to the bottom of the totem pole and, got to do it all over again so um yeah definitely you know I don't think I would have earned earned that leadership position had I not gone through that experience for sure I think to touch on to not getting complacent uh, and continue to work hard like you're gaining your teammates trust whether we realize mm -hmm. it or not or realize it or not and you know when you finally do get your chance if you make a mistake or you you screw up 
it's a lot easier for your teammates to look at you as a guy who continues to work hard, show up every day with, uh, you know, a great enthusiasm and say like, Hey, like you're good. We got you or whatever versus someone that may have a bad attitude doesn't show up because the team doesn't really want to play for a guy like that is what I've found, especially, you know, you come from like a goaltending position on out. It's the same exact way. So when you continue to work hard and show up and do your thing, you're gaining your teammates respect and trust. So when you do get your opportunity, they're fully behind you 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, a recent example in the NHL, you look at Jack Campbell, the Toronto Maple Leafs, what he was able to do with that winning streak. And you can just see the team's excitement around that guy following wins and, and how happy they are because he's probably a guy that, you know, maybe had a bit of a, a longer a longer road and a difficult path, but certainly seems like he was the guy who put the work in every single day. So I think, you know, that energy can can really boost the team as well when a guy that is given that opportunity can can sort of take that and run with it and can really, uh, you know, cause a shift within the culture of an organization for sure. Yeah, and obviously fired up that they won 11 in a row under his belt. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, they see the daily ins and outs, um, yeah. you know, and have been around him enough to know his story and kind of the the hardships that he's faced. So for him to continue to battle through that, you talk about, you know, some – Hockey has given me some of my best friends, Sean, uh, a few others. Like when you see one of your best friends having success like that and kind of climbing your way out of the hole that you were put in, uh, it's probably a very cool thing. And uh, obviously, congrats to, to Jack and Toronto. They're doing great this year. And it's been really cool to watch, especially because he plays uh, obviously the same position that I do. So for him to give hope to, you know, maybe other guys that might have gone through some hardships like that, it's really cool that he's continuing to do what he does and having success at the best level. Yeah, absolutely. They've been fun to watch this year. So hopefully we can bring together a bit of a playoff run here. I think another instance where you can continue to better yourself and not staying humble is uh, when you are given a leadership role and you were named captain of a division one ice hockey team the summer before going into your senior year, you know, only people, only 60 people in the world were able to say that at that time. What did this honor mean to you and how did you prepare for that role? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the things in my life I'm most proud of. Um, certainly up there if, if it isn't, but, um, you know, in terms of preparation, I don't know that I really prepared more than I had for any other year. And I know you mentioned Mark Workman. Um, he had pulled me aside before that year. Uh, you know, he, he had left, but we had gotten together and he just said, you know, you earned this by doing exactly what you've done. So don't change a thing um, because, you know, obviously you had earned the teammates respect and the coaching staff's respect by handling yourself the way that you do. And, you know, the work ethic aspect and everything that goes into it. So um, we had that conversation at the beginning of the summer before I had gone home. And so that was, um, you know, a bit of a weight off the shoulders because obviously, you know, it is a huge honor and was something that I was taking very seriously but again it uh, was a nice reminder that you can just you know sort of be yourself and you know obviously as the year progressed there's times when you learn to, to speak up and be a little more vocal but um, you know really for me it was just making sure that I was the most prepared that I possibly could be at that point for you know one final season to, to lead a young team as far as we could and um, obviously was hoping to on a personal level continue my career after university so really just a lot of time in the weight room on the ice and just making sure that by the time I got down to school, I was ready to go. And, you know, obviously all business, but also ready to have some fun with you guys. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, when I look back on my career now, that's probably, you know, the thing I'm most proud of. Definitely. I like that you touch on that. And I think that's a great point of leadership is uh, kind of like investing in yourself and making sure that you're ready, because I think that's a great form of leadership, you know, uh, obviously when you show up, I'm sure you guys, this team was similar. You do testing, uh, to see who's put in the work over the summer, uh, in the gym. Sorry. Don't get me started on these guys in the gym, dude. I showed up <laughs> Robert Morris thinking like, Oh, I'm in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I was the weakest player on the team by a month. <laughs> I come into the gym, this guy, Kyle Horseman, Alex Dagnall, they're all squatting 6,000 pounds, hang cleaning <laughs> thousand we have testing i'm like oh geez i might get cut before the year even starts <laughs> these these dogs are barking off you in here but uh 
to my point, I think it's good to, to show up and lead by example. Um, and if you show up in the best shape of your life, uh, stronger than ever, the people around you see that and see that you're dialed in and kind of want to follow that lead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's obviously being a, being a freshman or a younger guy is intimidating enough, but I think when you, you know, show up and you see how hard we all work, not just myself, but the whole leadership group and, and guys that have been there for a few years, um, you know, it really kicks you into, into gear. And I think obviously, you know, watching Sean's career, you can kind of see that um, he obviously progressed and then was eventually one of those guys that senior year that is, you know, in that good of shape and tossing that weight around and working as hard as he, as he did. So um, yeah, for me, it was just about, you know, making sure that young guys came in and, and saw the leader of the team, um, you know, first guy in, last guy out, making sure that, that that was something they saw every day. So that, you know, kind of, kind of keeps everybody in check, right? Cause if, the person at the top of the team is, is doing it or who's has the leadership position is doing it. Then, you know, if you're a younger person, you're going to follow that lead sort of whether you want to or not, because if you don't, it's probably a, a pretty bad look. So I think that kind of forces people to, to kick it into gear a little bit. Uh, and I guess uh, in a non-authoritative way, kind of just a silent way of doing things. Yeah. It's another one of those lead by example things, just like staying on the ice late, you know, being the first one in the rink and the last one to leave. Um, but one of the harder things for a leader during the season is that it's natural for, you know, players to become upset with the coaches, you know, whether they're upset about playing time or whatever it is. And, you know, there's a bit of a divide because you need to still be the captain of the team and be responsible to the coaches, but you also are one of the players, you know, so you always want to side with the guys. Um, how can a leader help bridge the gap between a team and the coaching staff when things aren't going well? Yeah, good question. I think that just kind of boils down to, um, you know, obviously having trust built with the coaching staff um, and a good relationship on that end. And then, you know, communication both ways, right? So ensuring that the team and the boys know what the coaching staff is seeing, what they're thinking and, and why they're thinking that. Um, and also, you know, the other way, even more importantly, um, you know, that the coaching staff has a bit of a pulse on the room and what the guys feel that they need and what might need to be changed and I think uh, it's a really unique position to to kind of manage both sides of that relationship because there is times when you know you, you maybe understand why the coaches are doing things and you have to relay that message to the to the guys even though they may not agree so you've got to find a way yourself to to find a way to make that message heard but while also making sure that you know the boys know that you're listening to them as well and then on the flip side too um you know, even maybe even more challenging is sort of, uh, you know, challenging what the coaches are doing and kind of relaying the message from the locker room. So I think, you know, it really starts off just keeping a full line of communication open both ways. And, um, you know, I, I really think as, as long as everyone knows what each other are thinking and there's ways around to get, or sorry, there's ways around any issue, um, right? I think when you kind of cut off those, that communication and um, you know, that's kind of when, you know, maybe some anger or resentment towards the coaching staff starts and then it can all kind of spiral from there. So for me, it was just, um, yeah, trying to, you know, mend those relationships and making sure that they were strong right off the bat and then um, continuing to make sure that everyone was on the same page and everyone knew what was going on. Um, the one story I actually liked uh, that I tell pretty often is of Derek Schooley at RMU, our coach, our head coach there. Um, because there are times when, you know, you probably, you know, you can't tell the boys everything. So the one story was, um, you know, I had asked for the locker room for the first two, three months there as we had a really young team with nine or 10 freshmen and kind of wanted him to give me the reins and take it a little easy on you guys. Cause we figured there'd be some ups and downs along the way. And I think we, we had a tough weekend um, probably a few months in and I kind of looked at him in the, the handshake line there and said, Hey, I think it's time to, uh, to give it to the boys a little bit here and so he said okay and he came in and he absolutely roasted me for two minutes about uh how I didn't have the team prepared and you know it's the leadership's fault and all this stuff so you know at our morning meeting and the next day I kind of went in there and like hey what the what the hell is that about it's not what I meant by giving it to the boys I didn't mean to throw me under the bus for two minutes there but he had a big grin on his face because he's like well let's see how the boys respond tonight and if that got them going a little and so that was a Friday night he did that and sure enough Saturday we won so um seemed to light a fire under the boys a little bit and obviously that's you know something that you can't relate to the team or it kind of kills the whole message so 
um, you know, I, that's why I find it such a unique, a unique position to be in, in terms of handling all the relationships from both sides. But yeah, that was a good one. I, I commend them for that because it worked. Well, it just goes back to, you know, we see you doing the right things as a senior. It's like, this guy's working harder than me as a senior who has earned four years of leash. And I'm here as a freshman, not working as hard as him. And he's getting ripped by the coach. <laughs> so while you're getting ripped, like, you know, you're four years in, you're the captain, you're like, okay, okay, whatever. Us as freshmen who are like still scared of the coach and all that, like, it hit us a lot harder than it hit you. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually heard that you asked him to rip you because you knew it would have that impact. So it's funny that he kind of flipped it on you. Yeah, he did. So I know he, uh, I don't know, I think he, he kind of have a pulse in the room as well too, but yeah, he had a big grit on his face about that one. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. And that's what great leaders do. I mean, even in hockey and not, if you're not at the top of the food chain or you're a manager or something like that, they take responsibility maybe sometimes when it's not fully them. Um, but they know for it's for the betterment of the team. And then you talk about reading the room. Not every player can get ripped like that and be able to come back the next night with the same amount of confidence and enthusiasm that they had before. Um, so it's cool to see, you know, the coaches having that connection with their captains and leadership. And one thing I wanted to touch on, because this is a problem at some of the teams that I was on, is for, you know, to, to mend and have that captain-coach relationship and keep the team on the same mission the coaches and the captain have to be on the exact same page. Cause I've been on teams where it's like the coach is saying one thing, the captain was saying another, and it's kind of like, what are you doing? It was, it was trying to please both ends. You listen to what the captain say, but like you said, you want to say to the boys what they're going to respect and what they want to hear versus mm -hmm. probably what's more right. Uh, and you know, it's funny one, uh, a leader that I've been around, he always used to say, I'm more concerned with what's right rather than who's right. Um, yeah. and I think that that's kind of a mindset that a leadership, especially in this role as a captain at a college or junior team or whatever needs to have. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's about having some difficult conversations sometimes too, right? You gotta, you gotta be able to hash it out. Um, I think the only thing that matters is, is people just want to feel heard. Right. So whether that's, you know, as a captain, what the team is, uh, is relaying to you or, you know, on the flip side, what the coach is relaying and, um, you know, going about those conversations the right way. Um, you know, if you go in there guns hot looking to just battle it out, you're probably not going to get towards a, a resolution that, that everyone wants. But I think if you can sit down and, um, you know, obviously some di conversations are difficult at times, but you just need to be able to have those. And I think that's um, obviously as a captain, you know, you've been there for three years and you have that respect for the coach and, you know, probably a little more mature than some of the freshmen are. So you can kind of understand how to, how to go about those conversations. But um, it's certainly a delicate process because like you touched on, you don't want there to be that divide between, Hey, the coaching staff is on this page and the leadership group is saying something else because eventually that, uh, that train's going nowhere. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, we talked about, uh, some of the mental things that you've gone through and this is still mental, but, uh, you know, there's physical injuries in, in contact sports and you broke your arm while you were playing pro, uh, arguably some of the best hockey of your life. So, what happened? What was this battle like physically and mentally? Yeah, that was a tough one. So that was in Orlando. Um, so kind of had slowly worked my way up through the lineup and was on the top D pair there and, you know, logging some big minutes and, and really felt like I had earned the trust of the coaching staff. And, um, you know, as you guys both know, once you kind of get in a groove and you have that confidence going, it's really easy to string together um, some good games in a row. Um, just was, we were in Norfolk, was on the penalty kill, a few minutes left in the game, dropped to block a shot, hit me right between the glove and the elbow pad, just a small gap there. And immediately I knew that, um, you know, that that was a, a different stinger. Um, and so that was on the top hand of my stick. So I couldn't even hold my stick. So I had finished a shift holding my stick in my other hand. Um, I think I was out there for another minute or two because we were just hemmed in our zone and I couldn't get off the ice. So pretty much standing that front and just directing traffic to try and hopefully get out of there um, as quick as I could. But yeah, just, uh, you know, went got the x-ray the next morning there and had broken my arm. So, um, you know, originally it seems like a pretty routine recovery, uh, had a surgery, had a plate and screws put in and was supposed to be, you know, four to six weeks and I'd be back and things seemed all good, but was really, really slowly progressing in my rehab and physio 
following that surgery. And at about the six week mark, had another um, another x-ray done and they had realized they put the wrong size screws in um, to hold the plate down. So what they had done essentially was drilled six screws into my arm and the plate was just kind of floating in between the bone and my skin. And the way that the bone was fusing around the screws and it just turned into a, a complete nightmare. So at that point I was kind of facing the decision, well, um, you know, have surgery now, get the plates taken out, basically, you know, arm rebroken and, and your season's done. Or do you keep rehabbing and try and get to a state where you can play, um, you know, and that was no guaranteed, but I decided to go that route. I was already six weeks into it. So I figured let's keep rehabbing and pushing this thing and see if I can get back on the ice. So six week recovery turned into, I want to say it was 11 or 12. Uh, I came back with about three or four games left in the season. Still was not, you know, able to play anywhere close to how I would have liked to. Had a big brace on my arm and my mobility in that wrist was pretty much gone. So um, decided after that game, or, or sorry, after the last game of the regular season, heading into playoffs that I would get the surgery and just kind of, you know, have it uh, have it over with and spend the, the summer rehabbing. So, um, you know, physically, it was obviously tough. I mean, I think I was probably in the best skating shape of my life because I was just getting bagged for <laughs> eight or nine weeks there. So it never felt better on the ice that way. But um, mentally, it was tough. I mean, any injury, as you guys both know, is a bit of a setback. But originally, you know, four to six weeks, as tough as it was, I was really, look, really looking forward to getting back and still had a good chunk of the season to, you know, to look forward to and hopefully continue to um, to log some good ice and progress my career. But um, I think mentally, more than anything at that point, was was the most difficult just kind of trying to keep yourself going with so many unknowns of whether I was going to be able to get back was I going to get mobility back in my wrist how bad you know not just hockey wise but uh, was it going to affect my life after hockey right it's, it kind of becomes a, a bigger thing than that in terms of the range of motion and everything and um, yeah so that was a tough one that really uh, once my season was over I came home and wasn't wasn't really too keen on on training again and, and getting back into the swing of things. So I took about a month off probably to really reassess if I, if I had it in me to, you know, to kind of get back and, and put another summer of work in and while still rehabbing my arm at that point too. So uh, that was, you know, I've had a few major injuries, but that was by far the, the toughest one. I think just because of the point I was at in my career, kind of on the edge of, you know, making a decent run at it or maybe close to calling it quits. So um, certainly some, some tough times there. And, I mean, you know, you you guys know too, both playing, you're away from home. Um, you know, it, it can be difficult when you're kind of, you know, you're surrounded by teammates, but in, in a way you do feel, you know, somewhat uh, by yourself some days, especially as an injured guy, right? You're not going on road trips or doing those things. So um, that was a, a difficult few months for sure. Yeah, it's everything. Like I, uh, I missed our last uh, practice weekend game and, like I, I've been playing with the guys the whole year. Like they're not looking at me differently, but there's something about when you're sitting in the stands, like watching them, you know, have fun on the ice, practice, play the games that it makes you feel like there's a bit of a disconnect there. And that's mentally what's so hard is now you don't have your people back home and you feel like you don't have your team because you're not, you know, in there grinding with them. But it, it's just one of those mental barriers. Like if you reached out to any of them and said like, Hey man, like, I'm not, I'm not feeling great. Like, can we, can we kind of talk, just talk things out like any of them would like, you're still the same guy to everyone. And I think we kind of get in our own way sometimes thinking that people wouldn't help you out. Yeah, that's a good point because I mean, like you said, you're, you're kind of on the outside looking, you know, looking in, but the guys, you know, they know the work that you put in and, and what you're doing to come back. So there's, you know, not a lack of respect or anything in that. It's just, you just don't happen to be in the, in the lineup or practicing, you know, that day or for that amount of time. So I think that's something that probably a lot of athletes struggle with, right? You feel um, really disconnected because I think we really cherish the social aspect of it with, you know, the, the times we have on the ice and in the locker room, on the bus, on the plane, like, you know, all those, that's where, you know, the best memories are made. So it can be really hard to feel like you're missing out on, on that aspect of it all. The next step in your life is uh, one that I'm also pretty worried about when that day comes and 
for you, COVID didn't do you any favors, but what was your transition like out of the game that you lived and breathed your whole life? Yeah, I'd say, honestly, the last month or two has probably been the hardest. Um, you know, I kind of found myself not in a good spot, but I knew after my last year in Brampton, um, I'd had a bad concussion and I knew it was, it was probably time to, to look towards moving on. And so me, you know, initially the beginning of COVID and, you know, all the lockdowns and everything, I sort of saw it as a, as a, I don't want to say an advantage, I guess opportunity is the, is the word, but, um, you know, to, to get to where I want to go in my career now, I knew there was some education that I had to continue on. And, um, you know, I didn't really have the pressure of desperately needing a job because the world was, you know, shut down essentially and we weren't able to do anything. So I tried to, you know, use that opportunity, the two or three months there to, to do a course that I, you know, knew I needed to take and then start another one that I just finished in February there. Um, and so, you know, that kept me busy uh, as well. My girlfriend had taken a couple travel nursing contracts. So we spent two or three months out on the East Coast and then, you know, we're home for a few weeks and drove all the way out to BC. Um, so did the full cross-country Canada tour. So um, we were really busy traveling around. And, you know, I think you do live and breathe it for so long and kind of having that um, that summer break, I guess, um, you know, I was able to try some new things and just kind of felt like an extended holiday, I guess. But once I got back and was, uh, you know, really in crunch time and to try and find a job and, you know, really studying there, it kind of hit me that it was time to to fully move on. And obviously just starting the role last month that I did, you, you realize that it's, it's not going to the rink every day and logging onto Zoom with your team is not like rolling into the locker room with the boys. So um, I think that's when it hit me the most, just kind of the, the day-to-day things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to have a position that is in a, a high-pressure, high-performing environment. So I find the environment is really similar to the one that, you know, the three of us are used to and that we probably prefer over something else. So that was something, you know, I look for in a, in a career for sure. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was difficult. COVID definitely didn't help, but um certainly some challenges but I think you know the advantage we we probably all have and many athletes do is you can really uh you know lean on those past experiences that you had in your sport to kind of help you get through those right so to be honest I thought about that freshman year a lot and just kind of kept saying you know keep keep pounding the pavement and doing what you need to do and hopefully you look back in four years and um you know able to to brush that that difficult period off um you know like I was I guess that senior year so that was kind of my mindset going through it um but yeah I think if you have that mindset going throughout your whole career too like when you look back when it is finally time to hang up the skates you can be able to look yourself in the mirror and say that you gave an honest effort and you gave it a full try and obviously it sounds like with this injury and everything else uh it wasn't in in your deck of cards but as Sean and I like to say, everything happens for a reason and it's led you to a greater purpose, whether that's now or something, you know, years down the line that you'll finally reach, um, you know, but if you do give an honest effort every single day, it's a lot easier pill to swallow for sure. Yeah. The one thing that I found interesting too is, you know, obviously we're, we're all, we're all trying to make the NHL, right. You're trying to, to climb the ladder to, to reach that position. Um, but, you know, having family and friends kind of, reward you for how far I had taken it and you know the two of you as well um you know and once you kind of look at I guess the percentage of people that do make it to division one and and further um you know I think in our position it's really easy to be like wow you know I I didn't make it but like man you look back there's there's not many people that get the experiences that we've all had um playing division one and and playing professional hockey so when I think you take a step back and view it with that lens it becomes really rewarding especially like you mentioned when I look back and and say you know I really don't know what more I could have done um to try and get to where I wanted to go and I mean that's really all you can do no matter what you're doing in in life I think if you look back on your life and and have that that mindset and that attitude it's, it's a pretty rewarding life no matter what field that you're in right so yeah, I think it's important to step back and take a look at it from a different lens because as you just mentioned for us, the norm was division one college hockey. And then now the norm is playing pro hockey and the people that we're surrounded with are in the same exact position that we are. 
So when we see them to go on to have greater success, it's kind of like, why, why couldn't I do that? Or like, why isn't that me? But as you just mentioned, we're, we're with such a small percentage of the population, even when we're playing division one before it goes to pro. And then as you continue to work your way up. So I think we kind of get caught up with the norm in the everyday and what we're so used to instead of taking a step back, like you said, and look at it, looking at it from a, a different perspective, which I think is a great thing, because as you mentioned, it's a lot more rewarding. And it's funny because sometimes now, like when I played my last college game, we were at Army, I'll never forget this. We were on the bus there for our last two games. I knew that that was it. We weren't playing or going to playoffs. And I just had like this overwhelming sense of emotion and not even necessarily for that it was my last college game, but just for the support that my parents had given me and, you know, the great experiences that I've had, as you mentioned, and meeting some of my best friends. And, you know, I always tell people now it's, it's not really like the games and the wins that you'll remember. If you win a, a championship or something like that, that's something obviously you'll remember. But as you just mentioned, it's the time on the bus, it's the locker room, it's, yeah. you know, going out with the boys. Those are the things that I'll cherish and those are the life experiences that I'll take with me for the rest of my life and implement into whatever job follows hockey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny when people have asked me as I've kind of moved on, you know, do, do you miss hockey? Of course, you know, I, I do miss playing, but it, it's not really that that I miss, right? It's, it's being around with the boys and road trips and all, all the things that you just mentioned, um, you know, building those friendships and um, just the day-to-day social aspect of it all like that that's what I really miss right it's it was the best job on on earth for that reason and obviously I love playing but yeah when I look back on my career like had some amazing uh, moments in terms of on paper with wins and losses but those aren't the things that really you know change or that you obviously remember them but uh, I think it's the other things that you touched on and honestly one of my favorite games you just mentioned your last college game, you know, mine was against Air Force that we lost in the finals there. Um, probably a game we should have won and just kind of one you look back on and not much more you can do. Just, you know, seeing how far that team took it that year. We were a really young team. Didn't that, didn't stand a chance at the beginning of the year of, you know, probably even making it out of the first round of the playoffs. And I mean, how can you not be happy taking a team that far and, you know, as much fun as we had too. Giles knows like we were, we were running that year. We, we did not take, we didn't take any weekends off. Um, so yeah, that was just, I mean, how can you not, it's tough to be sad about that. Obviously, you know, it's tough to have the college career end, but you know, you can't ask for much more than, you know, the, especially the year I had with obviously Giles and freshman class and everyone uh, and everyone else that year as well. It's just like, the, the, that's the best year of hockey in my life is so much fun. So tough to look back on and then be upset about any of it all for sure. Well, that's a tough finals to look back on. I think we gave up a school record yeah. 13 shots against in the conference finals and, you know, a two, one heartbreaker loss that would have sent us to the tournament. But um, yeah, I like to look back on that year and, you know, think about the outdoor game and mm. once a life experience. So yeah. Ben Robillard, a guy who gives everything. You talk about guys who, you know, play without the recognition a forward who just battled every single night and he ends up scoring the overtime game winning goal on his senior night and your yeah. senior as well. And, you know, you got to look back on those good times because oh, yeah. that's why you play the game. You know, it's easy to focus on like, I'm not where I want to be. I want to be in the NHL. I want to do all this, but you have to go back and say, you know, how many people would have killed for the opportunity to play where I played? How many people, you know, you look, you look in that locker room and it's, we're talking again now and it, you know, it feels yeah. like it always did. And I know that anytime I see you in the future, it'll, it, it'll just be great. You know, we met so many people through this game. I think that it's really, it's good to want more and to strive for more, but if it's getting to the point where it's getting you down because you aren't there yet, you have to look back at the, the positives and the memories that you did make. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing too, a lot of guys obviously in the in the minor leagues get wrapped up of you know not making it to the next level but you know you just kind of said not letting that get you down or you know impeding your performance at all like I don't your day-to-day shouldn't change no matter what level you're at right you just go in and do your job and, and give the effort you need to regardless of the contract you're on the level you're at um at the end of the day that's that's all you can do but yeah I just got chills and you mentioned robes is uh 
overtime senior night goal. That was a uh, that was a special one. So yeah, that year was that year is unbelievable. It's just uh, tough to put into words how much that one meant for sure. But yeah, that was good. Not sure if you remember me going absolutely jar in the outdoor game as well. But I do, I do remember that. Uh, I don't know how you ended up on a two on one in the ozone, six foot ten defensive defenseman gets a two on one, but you did go jar. Well, it was the outdoor game. I had to do something fun. Can't be, block, can't be blocking shots outside. I actually remember you saying that. I think I made fun of you on the bench for that, and you said the same. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, man, I can't thank you enough. Obviously, I've mentioned on the podcast before, but you were a huge influence on me and the things you did. You know, just the way you played and then the way that you could interact with the boys and also interact with the coaches to, you know, make that team as great as it could be is something that always rubbed off on me. And I really hope that the people listening today can, you know, start to understand some of the leadership tips that you can give and um, really happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. It means a lot. You were, uh, I mean, you and I had a great relationship that year and someone that was reminded me of myself that, that freshman year sort of in the same position um so yeah it was easy to to gravitate towards you and um yeah we spent a lot of time together in the weight room and on the ice but yeah no I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm happy for you guys you've had some unbelievable guests on here and seem to be doing an incredible job so hopefully you guys can keep it rolling and uh yeah thanks for having me on Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is adversity underscore university. Our Twitter handle is adversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Adversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.